Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, episode 815 on the 27th of December, 2023. W- what are you doing watching this? Recovering from Boxing Day and Christmas dinners, I'd imagine. Yeah, so Probably uh, brutally hungover. Hello, future me, who is also brutally hungover. Yes, we're also in the same boat as you, so thank you very much. And uh, <laughs> now that we're in the middle, that grey period between Christmas, Boxing Day and the New Year... We're going to be covering the grey period of the year, that being April, May, and June, where things did happen, actually. Things, <laughs> it's surprising enough, that, yeah. The world did not did stop. Happen. So yeah, I'll be covering April, um, Connell will be covering May, yep. Josh will be covering June. Yeah, I get the summer. So uh, thanks very much for joining us all throughout Christmas and all through uh, this Christmas period. We might as well get straight into it, eh? Yeah, so I'll, I'll cover, I'll start with April. So... Uh, first things first, I should let everybody know that I covered March the other day. If you were watching yesterday, you'll have just finished watching me cover March. And you know that in March, we got demonetized. Very mm. fun. Fantastic thing to happen. Always great way to grow your business is for YouTube to demonetize you. And March and April, March didn't end any better. And April didn't start any better because YouTube decided to, you know, like, let's put the cherry on top of that delicious cake and banned us from YouTube from a week, if you remember. Do you remember Which this? video was of that? Course, yeah. I don't remember exactly which video it was that did it. I think we just got a notification through... Oh, it was the... out of the blue. There wasn't a specific video. Oh, no. Was it not the one that was to do with the Republican ad and the gun? We got a strike for that, and then yes. they randomly demonetized us, but we were actually being quite good. We didn't get three strikes. We just had the one, and they demonetized us anyway. And then, then they decided you won't be able to upload anything onto YouTube for a week anyway. So there you go. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? Nah, nah. That's the kind of response that we I'm got. Sure, from Susan herself said those exact words. I don't think it was Susan. I think it was Neil. Neil. N- Neil Mohan, the guy who took over. From the Indian Susan. who took over. Oh yeah, of course. Raja Mohan. Have you not heard his glorious theme tune? No. I'll have to show that to you. I thought you were going to sing it to me. Oh. I don't think I could do it justice. <laughs> Yeah, so that was really fun. But outside of what exactly happened to us, what happened in April? Well, as far as I can tell, most of the news stories this year have been the same news stories going on over and over again. I mentioned this for March, which is that there's been repeats of the same stories repeatedly developing, moving along with some twists and turns. So a lot of what we're going to be talking about will kind of be variations on a theme. Or it's almost like there's continuity between cause and effect of, of all aspects of life. But true, but I would also put it in another way, which is nothing ever happens. Well, that's not true. Nothing ever happens. This Say is, it with me, folks. This is happening right now. Well, Say I, have, it with I have, me, have certainly never felt like I covered the same thing over and over on this podcast. I know. I don't know what you're talking about then, but it, <laughs> it can be a bit like Groundhog Day, but good news does occasionally happen. And you know that good news has happened because awful, awful places like the Human Rights Campaign <laughs> reports on it like it's a Sounds bad funny. thing. Well, I mean, they give themselves nice big names I like know. the Human Rights Campaign. I so agree you go, with you entirely. It's just funny to say I mean, these, these terrible people. Who've... I now, I from, from now and forevermore name myself as the good guy. And anything that I do must therefore be only in favor of good things because I am the good guy. Stunning and brave. There, there you go. Exactly. If I ever trip an old lady down a set of stairs... You did it for good reasons. It was a good thing. She had it coming. That old guy. lady's name was Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Always is. Um, so 
This is something that was dropped in the document to remind me that it happened, but Florida dropped, uh, Florida Senate passed an extreme gender-affirming ban, uh, care ban. I assume you know about this. Yeah, there was that and about 18 other states. They had variable restrictions. Some banned puberty blockers, some banned the surgeries, some banned uh, the whole lot. Florida was one of the more restrictive ones, thankfully. Yeah, so good news happened. Uh, then some bad news happened. Mm. And you dropped this one in here. Sorry, the, I did. We, we, we've got, <laughs> you did this. Got, yeah. I started the war in Sudan. Yeah, it was you me, did. Barry. <laughs> you did it just so we'd get news to cover, didn't you? You bastard. Hey, I'm helping out here. I'm pulling my weight. There you go. Starting so, a, an entire war. So, Civil war. Civil <laughs> war. Great news, guys. Not great news, but it's great for the news. So what happened in Sudan, Josh? Explain it briefly for us. Uh, there was a civil war. Um, that's what happened. Um, yeah, basically their the country had been run appallingly. Um, they'd recently moved out of, of a sort of dictatorship situation, had some sort of sham democracy for a while, but they mismanaged it, put loads of price caps on, removed the price caps. Goods um, prices went skyrocketing, people couldn't survive, and then the military said, we're going to take over because you can't do it properly. But you can watch my video on it as Harry has pulled up mm. right here. And I then it'll want... also be fresh in my memory because I just looked into it, whereas this is many months later and I don't remember. I, for one, am absolutely shocked there would be civil war and political instability in a North African country. It's never happened. Where's ne General Mosquito Spray when you needed him? <laughs> it's never happened ever once. But one of the big things that also happened in April was the big cancelling of Andrew Bridgen. Mm. And he came on to the podcast to have an interview with Carl. That was the whole thing. It didn't go up on YouTube. So I probably can't discuss exactly what they discussed in there. But if you go on Rumble, which you should instead of YouTube, because YouTube despises us and hates you as well, Rumble will actually allow us to put up interesting videos. Carl and I also did a long-form hangout covering all of the lead-up and the fallout before Andrew was kind enough to come in and talk to us, so you can catch mm. up on the story with that if you want all of the articles and nonsense yeah. surrounding it. And you can watch this video, and it's very interesting. It still stands up. It's mostly an interview. And this, I think, was the first time Andrew came on and introduced the world to his glorious hairy chest. Mm. So thanks very much for that, Andrew. Um, Josh also covered that I think this can be said on YouTube. It can now, yeah. Yes, it can be said on YouTube that masks were a bad idea. Uh, yes, Obviously. well, there was a, a large meta-analysis that looked at the harmful effects of mask wearing. So obviously there had been research and things like that, but the, the value of a meta-analysis is obviously uh, much greater than that of an individual study because it looks at studies and um, accommodates for potential um, methodological issues. And so this was actually quite an important um, thing. And it was quite harrowing, actually, what um, they had said about it. There's uh, bits in there about possible contributions to causes of death through restricting breathing, wasn't there? Yes, it was talking about um, your ability to oxidize your blood and things like that, and, and how this it was provably worse. And this how, was for surgical and N95 masks. So I it think was N95, N95 were, worse. were in fact yeah because because they're more effective at restricting particles, they're also yeah. more effective at restricting breathing. And it, it was just more of a comment on wearing masks more generally. I think it's probably not the best. I mean. Um, even if you were doing so in a trade unrelated to you know, the COVID times, it's just something to bear in mind, I suppose. There was also a subsequent study by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Lancet, you know, one of those far-right outlets that turned around and said, we looked at every single state's policy in the US and we found that social distancing and mask wearing had no relation to overall fatality rates. And they said that only the vaccine lowered 
deaths relating to COVID-19. Good so, thing he invested all that money in mm, the vaccine. Yeah, exactly. But so, it's nice to know that, you know, we're conspiracy theorists months after saying the exact same thing that they were saying. So, so Bill Gates is going to give money to all of those people whose lives he neg- negatively affected by petitioning the government to lock everything down early, right? Nope. Oh, fantastic. Donald Trump was being indicted at this, at this point, right? I, I know that you may think, isn't he still being indicted? Yes. Yes, he is. At the time of recording, he is still being indicted for various uh, election denial across various states in the, uh, in the US. This time, it was for the Stormy Daniels yes. situation. Um, I don't think this one went anywhere. No, it was a bit of a ridiculous it's, one in the first it's, place. It's still technically ongoing. So, Oh, it's still, well, yes. it's still technically ongoing. Even though Michael, uh, not Michael Avenatti, who was his lawyer? Oh dear, the one that went to prison. Totally off the top of my head. But he already went to prison for perjuring himself and lying to Congress. He wrote the letter saying that he had paid Stormy Daniels off with money without Trump's say-so or knowledge. And there was, if, if it was predicated on the idea that Trump didn't want the, the story about him sleeping Stormy Daniels out ahead of the election, there was like a 2008 People magazine article that already exposed it. So it was already public knowledge. But he's still indicted anyway. I mean, Wasn't this the one where Trump was talking about Shark Week? And yes. how much, how he just came around and said how good Shark Week was. Yeah, he slept with a. It didn't last very long, and he just put Shark Week on, and he sat around and made her watch it. <laughs> Big if true, unfathomably based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once again, Trump constantly being indicted. The actual charges themselves don't really matter all of that much because they will literally pull up anything and everything as this case demonstrated. Michael Cohen, get rid of it. Sorry. Yeah. Hey. They, there you go. Um, yeah, they'll literally get up that he gave Stormy Daniels some money at one point, so we should get try and get him for that, boys. Let's see if we can try and put him in prison for that. Um, so far, they're not doing that great a job with all of these indictments. So if things have changed by the 27th of December when this goes out, be interesting to see, I suppose. There was also basic bitch wokeness going on as there always was. This was when the big uh, Dylan Mulvaney Buzz Light thing came about. Buzz Light? I, I know, I'm not doing very well. <laughs> what year <though>. is it? <laughs> Bud Light came out with their marketing campaign that included Dylan Mulvaney, and they always... What? Buzz Light to infertility and beyond. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for God's sake. I'm here all week, folks. <laughs> yeah. This was a fun one because, I mean, I was honestly very skeptical of the big conservative campaign against this when it first came out, mainly because of the fact that Go Woke, Go Broke seems to have diminishing returns a lot of the time. You'll see somebody come out and say, Go Woke gets broke, and it doesn't actually, because a lot of these companies like Budweiser are owned by gigantic conglomerate corporations that own a lot of different brands, and nothing really affects their bottom line. But Anheuser-Busch did actually get a bit of a knock from this one and did actually have to come out and apologize. I think the woman who was in charge of this campaign ended up getting fired. So did some other guy as well that was um, involved in it. The one thing I'm happy about is Bud Light, more generally, is just gross, and it couldn't have happened to a worse beer, which makes me happy. Yeah, I think that's one of the largest cultural effects that's come off of the back of this, which was that Bud Light, which is already a terrible beer, as you're pointing out, don't drink light beers. That's even wrong. Budweiser in general is shouldn't be your first go-to. I, I chipped my tooth opening a Budweiser once, so, so that, I've got a personal vendetta against there's it. There's a moral here. There, there is a moral here, which is don't be an idiot. If you if the bottle is a screw-on, don't try and open it with your mouth. But, <laughs> you did impress the girl, though. Well done. I did impress the girl, and now we're engaged. So that's all right. 
<laughs> so maybe do drink Budweiser. <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. But Bud Light has a big stigma against it now. Everybody thinks you're gay if you drink it. Everybody <laughs> already should have thought. It actually makes you. It actually, when they say they were born this way, it's actually because the mothers drank Bud Light while they were pregnant. <laughs> I'm going to credit Phil Labonte with this joke of saying, you can now go to a cocktail bar, order a round of Fruity Cosmopolitans, and the one guy that drinks Bud Light looks gayer, because at least your one's fruity and tasty. <laughs> that looks gay and it tastes like it sucks. <laughs> Fruitier now. There you go. Disney also um, hilariously had footage of a shareholder meeting released where all of the shareholders rang in to say, why are you making all of your programs terrible now? Why are you making them really woke? You're losing me money. Please stop doing this. And then one of the women said that I'm surprised you're letting my not-so-secret gay agenda and putting queerness everywhere just go. That was last year, I think. Was it really? Yeah, that that was not the same shareholder meeting. No, there have been a few shareholder meetings. This was a public shareholder meeting where the plebs like you or I, who may have bought some shares for Disney in the past, got to call in and say, listen, guys, I've been watching She-Hulk. I don't think I'm getting my value for money. Seemed to be the primary thrust of what was being discussed in that. And also we discovered that Cleopatra was in fact not black. As much as Netflix wanted you to know, I think this is when the trailer came out. The series for Netflix hasn't since come out and was trashed by a lot of people. Included a, it included a, a, a classic scholar called Shelley Haley saying that her grandmother, her grandmother told her, I don't care what they tell you in school, Cleopatra was black. I be- Presumably, I, that's what got her her degree. I believe that it was m- me and Stelios that covered this, and I remember saying Cleopatra would have looked something like Stelios in that she was Greek. But well, she was, people misinterpreted it to mean Cleopatra <laughs> looked literally like looks like Stelios. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've done um, they, they've done um, computer generated reconstructions of her face, and she was actually, from what we can tell, pretty mid. I Pretty med, right. did you say? <laughs> mid or med? I, I think she was all right. She was pale skin, gingerish hair, blue eyes. It's not exactly sub-Saharan African, is it? No, not exactly. I don't think this was a particularly accurate representation of her. Interestingly enough, though, in recent news, there's been an announcement of a BBC doc- Two documentary with um, Tom Holland and other people in it on Julius Caesar where they're trying to paint him as the most dangerous evil man ever because he painted, he he provided the template for all future dictators going forward. There had been dictators before him. Yeah, but this, yeah, but Julius Caesar and Donald Trump have so much overlap that we've got to demonize him. (laughs) Don't question the veracity of that statement. I don't remember Donald Trump's conquest of Gaul, but there we go. He's not yet also been murdered by a cabal of his own advisors, but we'll see. Well, the, the, the Roman Senate. Well, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the Roman Senate. But we'll, we'll see. Um, Shelley Haley is also appearing in that. So I think we can immediately discount any quality information that might be included. I don't know who that person uh, is, yeah. She's the one who I mentioned who said, I don't care what they tell you. Oh, right, Patra was black. The same person that thought the smoke alarms in the pyramids were chirping. <laughs> yes. Uh, Elon Musk had his famous struggle session with the BBC. This is something that's still basically going on, not necessarily with the BBC, but this idea that Twitter is a hive for hate speech because Elon has opened it up to allow for a greater uh, freedom of speech on there. It's not perfect. Alex Jones and other people still aren't allowed on the platform more for Elon's personal uh, reasons than anything else. But Elon, in most recent news, 
was has been confronted with the fact that a lot of advertisers have dropped out of the platform and have said that we're going to we don't want to be on here as long as you're doing uh, as long as you're promoting free speech. And Elon said, okay, if you're going to try and blackmail me, then go f yourself. Yeah, he's also bringing a lawsuit mm-hmm. against Media Matters for trying to m- manipulate the algorithm to misrepresent the number of ads that are put alongside undesirable content to try and pressure advertising to boycotting Twitter. And he said, okay, you're damaging my brand. You're not being honest. We're going to sue you. And fair play, we'll hope that that actually goes somewhere because I've mentioned before, even if Elon isn't completely on our side or isn't completely perfect on everything, he is probably the person who's most secure with his finances to be able to go after these gigantic corporations that bully people using advertiser pressure, especially because, as I covered recently, Elon Musk is actually heavily, um, well, the, the US government is heavily dependent on Elon Musk using SpaceX and other developments, technological developments that he's putting forward for NASA, for um, weapons development that he produces, I think, greater value for them than Lockheed Martin and Raytheon. So they're really dependent on him. So if he's the one who's able to put these financial and legal challenges to these companies, he's probably the only person who has the power to do so. I think he's the kind of person who the phrase "fu money was invented because he quite literally said that to the CEO of Disney. Yes, he did. And he will face very little financial recompense for that, I think. Yeah, but this was an earlier example of his defiance to this because it was the pathetic, embarrassing, feminine, be- uh, cook-it, uh, cook-holded um, BBC reporter saying, well, I've been going on the platform and on my feed has been far more full of hate speech than it ever was before. And Elon says, can you give me a single example of that? And he immediately backtracks and says, well, actually, I haven't been going on my feed at all. No, I can't give you a single example of that. I mean, we already knew the BBC was liars, but it was really funny to see the BBC release an interview where it was made clear to everybody just how dishonest they all are. If he wasn't such a big name, they probably wouldn't have released it, I don't think. Yeah, th- this was a funny one as well. Does anybody remember this guy? Yeah, the guy that spoke in the intonation of... Uh, State House <laughs> have a drink speech. Yes. Yeah, have, have <laughs> pool is closed. Uh, this was at Tennessee when the... Uh, some disruptive activists, one of whom was trying to style himself as MLK mixed with Malcolm X. Uh, they interrupted proceedings at the Tennessee State House, so they got ejected from the Tennessee State House. He's like evil Calvin Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Alternate universe Calvin Robinson. Uh, and they tried to paint it as a big civil rights issue. This didn't really go anywhere, but it was funny at the time. Big business was still trying to import in billions of Africans. We've been told this is a conspiracy theory, actually, haven't we? Uh, I've, I've been told from good sources that we're a conspiratorial outlet. Mm-hmm. So even when we include links to our sources and provide footage of business leaders, I think this is the gentleman who runs Next, is it? I can't remember. He, he runs late. some large company that's reliant on cheap labor to run its shops and distribution centers. And he says, we need more skilled labor. We need to keep the borders open for as long as possible so that I can keep those wages down. He didn't say that last part out loud. The boss of Next was lobbying for that, as was the boss of Tesco on Question Time around the same time. And the boss of uh, the guy that owns Barrett New Build Homes obviously wants more people, (laughs) more Dinos, so they can endlessly build. They're all interchangeable corpos, so I'm not going to say exactly which one this was. But that's uh, still a problem. Still a problem. And speaking of immigration and us being uh, completely conspiratorial, this is when I did this particular segment, which is at the time of recording, 
um, got us noticed by Talk TV. Yes. Because... My former employer. Yeah. Because um, on one of the shows, which show was it? Ian Collins' show. Ian Collins' show. A caller called in to say that he'd watched our show and found through the reporting that I'd done on this one that immigration was being... The need for immigration was being inflated because of the unemployment statistics and the employment statistics and the job statistics saying, well, we've got all of this employment, everybody's employed, and yet we've still got all of these job roles that need filling. So we're going to need to get more and more people in. And through this, this was a report that I did. I think the um, the article that I was using was from Mashable, although it's also been reported by other outlets like Indeed, you know, the primary job listing website for the UK. I think it was a company called Clarify something or other. You can check the sources on the podcast originally. They had found that about 43% of hiring managers said that they were keeping open their employ um, their job listings indefinitely so that they could try to make it look like the companies were growing in periods of economic hardship and try to motivate their own staff members who wouldn't work as hard if they knew that no hope was on the horizon. And apparently, saying such a thing and listing sources and sources that were being used by outlets like Indeed was enough for what was his name again? Ian Collins? Ian Collins, yes. To say that we are conspiratorial. Also, this was some pretty big news at the time, and still is, really. This was the month when Tucker Carlson got ousted from Fox News. I forget the exact reasons, but overall, this has proven to be a complete disaster for the network, as far as I can tell, because for me and a lot of other people, Tucker was the only person drawing us to that. And I didn't even tune into the network. You'd see the clips being posted on social media every so often. And he would cover something interesting, say something interesting. This drove that massive audience that they were getting away and drove it straight to Twitter because now he's got his Twitter show and he's been covering some very interesting things. And as always, speaking to some very interesting figures, he's been speaking to Candace Owens recently. Most recently, in fact, I saw he did an interview. I don't think this was on his show. But independently, he did an interview for Dave Smith, where they spoke about some rather controversial subjects, and even uh, were defend the two of them were defending people like Pat Buchanan and other people who have got very controversial in the mainstream, but otherwise very sensible views. And I even saw Tucker saying something uh, that some may find quite spicy, which was he was questioning some of the starting myths about. World War II, for instance, where he's pointing out that Britain started the war to defend Poland, but then 16 days after we started war with Germany because they invaded Poland, the Soviet Union invaded the east of Poland and we didn't do anything about that. So I don't think that's the sort of discussion he would normally be able to have if he was still attached to a network like Fox News rather than being independent as he is now with Twitter. So I think overall it has been very good news that Tucker has been able to have more freedom and to signal boost some very interesting stories that he otherwise wouldn't have. And finally, uh, the SNP almost collapsed. We were almost there, guys, because there were some big internal investigations going on into the finances of the organization because a lot of money seemed to be being placed and then vanishing. And then Humza Yusuf took over. So the Islamification of Britain continues, gentlemen. And that was April. There you go. Can Not, I nick the Elgato? Yes. Thank you. Yes, you much. can. I was reliably informed by Fraser Nelson that actually having Hamza Yusuf as the first minister of Scotland is a good thing because we had we had a Buddhist Home Secretary, a Muslim mayor of London, and a Hindu Prime Minister, and things all seem to be going rather well, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it, as long as you're not English. Yeah. Mm. 
Yes. Also, Ireland, half Indian leader. So that's always fun. Right. So May was a bit of a mess, really. I mean, it started off with some good things. So we have here, this was right at the end of April, and this was a prescient segment. We talked about the truth behind the Dutch protocol, which for those who don't know, is the number one study that was funded by the manufacturer of puberty blocker Triptorellin, which is what they used in the Netherlands and also in the infamous Tavistock clinic, that said that, okay, if you put children on early intervention puberty blockers, it lowers their suicidality and ameliorates their gender dysphoria. Bear in mind, one of the participants died during the study and they struck that from the records and they didn't disclose the drug manufacturer funded the study. So the reason I raised this is it was ahead of Norway in the month of May and following Sweden and Finland, abandoning the protocol and saying we're going to go with explorative ther- therapy instead, non-affirmative therapy. France then issued some prohibitive guidelines. They said that we're worried about this and we're going to explore it. They didn't quite make a formal policy rollback, but they were skeptical about the use of this protocol in the future. And then later on in June, as I'm sure you're probably going to mention, NHS England turned around and said, we're no longer going to prescribe puberty blockers as the first port of call, especially after the Tavistock closed. Now, at time of recording, Tavistock has got a stay of execution till spring 2024. And the Telegraph were reporting the other day that in the last year, 100 children have still been prescribed puberty blockers by Tavistock and the NHS. So for some reason, it doesn't show any sign of stopping, but at least in guidance in various European countries, a bit of a shift. Not too bad. Right. So uh, right at the start of the month, First Republic Bank collapsed. Now, this was the fourth financial institution to collapse as of last year. This was after Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Silvergate. Three of the four largest US bank collapses happened in 2023, and no one seems to have batted an eye. And part of the reason was that the US government allowed JP Morgan Chase to snap up First Republic practically overnight. And it's almost like they were monitoring the situation, knew it was going to collapse. It would have been illegal for JP Morgan to have purchased the bank when it was still on its last legs, because it would have gone over the post-2008 financial crash rulings that said a bank can only get to a certain size. But once it collapsed, the government approved and encouraged them to buy the bank up. So they're centralizing the two big-to-fail banks that are aligned with the Fed. Very suspicious. Uh, This is obviously due to a lot of the bank runs that have come as a result of the mass money printing during COVID because people have turned around and gone, right, you've you've deflated the current, inflated the currency, debased the currency to such an extent that why should I keep all my savings in a bank account? I'm not getting interest on it. I'll stick it in a money market. And so all the rich people were losing confidence in banks and just buggering off. They were really old-fashioned bank runs. Dan did a really good job of explaining how it was working on the Silicon Valley bank where it was everybody's second best friend running to the bank because everybody who had their best friend tell them problems were happening just immediately withdrew their money from their banking apps. A lot of the people ended up having to line up outside because of the fact that oh crap, I've only just found out and now the banks are stopping me from withdrawing my entire cash deposit. Yeah, it was like a scene from It's a Wonderful Life. Dan, Dan was also in this episode and he did a really good job of explaining the reasons why, so go I, and check I, it out. I know it's not it. entirely relevant to this, but it's kind of tangential. I think um, SBF, yep. Sam Bankman-Fried, I think at the beginning of uh, November, he's just been sentenced to potentially a few years in prison for defrauding people or whatever it was that he was uh, charged with. So uh, that's that's quite interesting. The finance hasn't been going great this year. No, no. It's almost like it's connected to government policy for some reason, but that might just be a conspiracy theory. Uh, speaking of terrible government policy and conspiracy theories, a load of the Epstein clients got revealed via his calendar in an exclusive article by the Wall Street Journal. This was, I think, at the time of recording about the fifth most popular segment we have on YouTube. 
So the algorithm picked this one up and we didn't get assassinated for that, unlike Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, some of the clients included not very notable figures, such as Bill Gates, the current CIA director, William Burns, uh, Bill Clinton counsel and Obama attorney general nominee, and Goldman Sachs lawyer, Catherine Romola, uh, Noam Chomsky, you know, upstanding ethicist, Adrian D. Rothschild, that's not me making conspiracy theory, I didn't make it up, former Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, and Woody Allen. If you were trying to get a, a list of important people to blackmail, and to peddle influence, that would be a very good selection of people, wouldn't it? It's almost like the CIA director should have known ahead of time that he might be in a compromising position flying on the Lolita Express. Mm. I mean, look at the name for a start. Yes. I mean, it's almost like he could have run a background check on this guy because mm. he did it after Epstein was already a convicted sex offender. Good job, Ghislaine Maxwell trafficked children to absolutely no one, isn't it? Um, anyway, on with more sordid stuff. Uh, Vice went bankrupt. This is something that you covered with me, uh, with their entire butt plug section at the time, which I'll oh, still yeah, I, 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 I only included that just to torture Connor, um, because yeah. um, me and Stelios, we are the people who delight in making our, our colleagues suffer. And so I did that for, for Connor's sake only, really. Yeah, cheers for that, mate. You're really welcome. appreciate it. So this year, BuzzFeed, Vice, and Jezebel have all gone under. Vice oh, did no. get bailed out because George Soros and Fortress Investment Group snapped them up for $400 million, which is six years ago down from their prior valuation of $5.7 because they, they spaffed it all loads, the way on yeah. intersectional feminism rather than edgy documentaries like they used to make. In fact, um, even recently, Vice have been letting more employees go. So... You know, good news all round on that front. Yeah, it's just fun to see the em enemy hemorrhaging morale. Um, though our side have been hemorrhaging because, of course, as you alluded to in your last segment, Tucker was filed, fired in April. In May, we got a bunch of very strange reasons about it. So some of the various reasons included people thinking it was related to the Minion lawsuit because a lot of the discovery process unveiled some of the behind-the-scenes conversations, and Tucker was at odds with the mandated programming at the time. He was questioning some of the narratives about election interference, and he was more saying that Sidney Powell didn't seem particularly credible, that he was forced to have her on his show. Uh, also, there was a bit of a personal angle with it. There was an article that ran inside information that he had had dinner with Rupert Murdoch and his latest fiance. And his fiance believed that Tucker was basically the second coming of Christ. And Rupert Murdoch got a bit jealous and binned her off and then sacked Tucker, which I, is quite interesting. I also heard that it was because I think right before he made uh, he got fired, he'd made a speech at some conference where he spoke about how Christianity was very important for the future of American culture. Yeah. Murdoch is apparently very anti-Christian and uncomfortable with people making overtly religious statements. So that may have had something else to do with it. I did it. play the clips in there. I think it was Heritage. Someone can correct me on that, but it was a fantastic speech. It was also quite interesting. Some people pointed that BlackRock had started snapping up more shares in Fox Corp over the last mm -hmm. few years, so they had some more say over the board. And so then this also around the time that those text messages got leaked, where he had yes. said that you shouldn't... Um, white men don't fight like that. White men f don't fight like that because he'd seen some clips of white guys ganging up to beat up some guy. One Antifa kid, yeah. And he mm -hmm. said, I actually felt sorry for the kid because this is someone's son, brother, someone loves this guy and he's fallen down a rabbit hole and he shouldn't have the absolute hell beat out of him. And Tucker was saying, this is a moment of self-reflection for me because even though he's on the other side, I didn't want to see him get absolutely trounced for his false beliefs. And that was a moment of humility and the New York Times tried to run that as, look at Eva Tucker Carlson observing group-based patterns. It's like, okay, mm. all right, whatever. That makes him look better, not worse, doesn't it? Sure. Yes, but we're sane people. And then what also made him look oh. better was in this, Media Matters decided to leak a bunch of bird footage. So 
pre-roll, pre pre-filming footage of Tucker getting annoyed at the Tate brothers being oh, professional yeah. and making jokes at sex at Piers Morgan and, and saying F you to media matters. And we're just like, yeah, this makes him look hilarious. Makes him look really personable. Like, <laughs> does this make, make him look bad? Mm. I think my, okay. biggest, my biggest takeaway from all this is that Tucker is an aficionado of um, world star hip hop. <laughs> he and Stelios would have the greatest live stream going over flight views. We need to get him on here. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just phone him, I suppose. Um, Tucker and Stelios review Waffle House footage. Yeah, speaking of inner city violence, this was also the month where Jordan Neely died um, trying to, uh, declaring his intent to kill someone on a train after being a drug addict, homeless mm. person, arrested 42 times. But no, he was just a good Michael Jackson impersonator. Also having had tried to push people onto the tracks before. Oh, because that hasn't been happening on mass in New York recently. Oh. And yeah, so Daniel Penny, who was a former Marine, I believe, decided to subdue him along with the help of some very diverse uh, other passengers and Jordan Neely died during the restraint and Daniel Penny is since being currently being charged with murder by the New York State so I, I hope he has fantastic representation there because uh, frankly I regard him as a hero who saved his fellow passengers but there you the, go the lesson that New York and the Democrats want you to learn from that is don't defend yourself don't defend yourself because we will arrest you for it yeah, it's to keep the law-abiding population in perpetual fear of the arbitrary application of the law and to allow their criminal client class to have absolutely free roam because they're obsessed with race ideology. That's how you run a functioning city. Um, speaking of functioning city, we got that for about one day, and that's because the coronation happened in May. It was a, a little bit played down. Charles decided to diminish the ceremony a bit because he wanted to be the defender of faiths rather than the faith. You know, I, I say this as a Catholic, I'd rather he was just an unapologetic Anglican because that's the entire point of the country and the position that he holds. But there you go. Um, frustrating. This was also the time that during the coronation coverage on ITV, Adua Ando, Martha's mum from Doctor Who, said the balcony was terribly white and got absolutely no rebuke. Loads of Ofcom complaints, but didn't suffer any career repercussions. Funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah, I, I got asked on Times Radio to talk about this and one of her friends was the host. He's also a UN Sustainable Development Goals contributor. And they pre-recorded the interview and then edited out my criticism of her, calling her a grifter for basically wanting more blackwash roles in Bridgerton because he's friends with her. And then they cut the interview to cutting off my rebuttal when my interlocutor was just accusing me of being a white supremacist. So very honest media there. Don't know why I expected anything else. Speaking of honest media, uh, this is also where E. Jean Carroll decided to bring her lawsuit against former President Trump for a rape allegation in 1996 in a Bergdorf department store in New York, where she, in her own autobiography, admitted that there were no shop attendants and no CCTV around, which is very weird for the middle of the day for a department store. And she said that he had tried on lingerie with her and then raped her in a changing room for which there is no DNA evidence, even though she still has the dress and claims to have frozen it and never worn it since the day it happened. And they both submitted the dress for DNA testing, and the judge said no, even though both the plaintiff and the defendant agreed to have it tested. Now, we can't allege that she's making it up because she's very litigious. She also won the case, and she won the case on the grounds that even though the jury found Trump not guilty of rape, he was guilty of defamation for saying she's crazy because he said that she, I didn't rape this woman. So he starts to pay her millions. Yeah. Uh, Not really any words for how insane that is. Yeah, the words are, are, are difficult to come by because I don't want to be sued. But yeah. I, Trump's being sued again because he then said this was a bogus verdict and so she decided to sue him again. Now this is after 
she has admitted that her story bears a remarkable similarity to an episode of Law and Order. Like, downright weird. And she, she admitted that. Yeah. She said it herself. She says she's an avid Law and Order watcher, but she's somehow never seen that episode. But it is kind of funny how similar it is. Wow, that's mm. such a strange coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, she also I mean, went on the CNN that? and said that she thinks of rape as sexy. Wait, what? Yep. Well, the, they then cut to the, There must be context for that. <laughs> no. So Anderson Cooper asked, um, it's terrible what happened to you. What, what do you think about it? And she goes, uh, she goes, I was not thrown on the ground and ravished. And rape is such a horrible word. I think of rape as sexy. Think of the fantasies. And then they cut to commercial. When she was asked about that on the stand, she said, I was talking about Game of Thrones. That doesn't make it any better. I, for one, believe this woman. Well, I... Anyway, moving on. Um, this was also where oh, Elon God. chose his CEO. Speaking of crazy women, uh, this was Linda Yaccarino. She was former executive over at MSNBC. Also on the World Economic Forum's was it, media trust and safety mm. team, something like that. Bizarre pick. Yeah, and she was the one that said, we're going to return uh, lawful but awful speech being suppressed. So arbitrary shadow banning. Now, at time of reporting... She hasn't been too egregious, as far as I know. Uh, I seems think to rain a in. lot of people had noticed that they seemed to be shadow banned, right. but a lot of those have been lifted recently. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if appointing somebody like this had been a demand from the ADL because they have been so aggressive with him over the past year or so. And possibly the fact that those shadow bans have been lifted and some of the statements he's made and the advertisers pulling shows that he's just decided, screw it. Yeah, possibly recently. so. Uh, that's why Twitter seems to be functioning. It's not being arbitrarily strangleholded by random grievance groups that have nothing but contempt for the populations of the West. Uh, speaking of random grievance groups, you covered this with me, actually. There was a Texas shooting, and the BBC decided to go full libel and just blame Tim Pool for it, which was mad. Did you say I covered that? Yes, you did. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember that. I know, news moves fast. Uh, this was the Hispanic neo-Nazi uh, Mauricio oh, yeah. Garcia, he killed eight and injured seven at a mall in Allen, Texas. And this is where Bellingcat, which is the CIA-backed media research company, they found his really obscure Russian social media site on uh, a profile on, a, on the second most popular Russian social media site that translates to classmates. And it was had random screenshots of a Timcast episode where they were discussing the Ukraine war with no captions, so it wasn't like it was endorsing it at all. And so they said he obviously inspired this guy to go and shoot a mall in Texas. And then the BBC ran an article that used Tim Pool's old photos as the thumbnail image to make it look like he was the shooter. I'd it's completely appalling. forgotten about this whole incident, to be honest. Yeah. Bellingcat also ran a, a smear piece on us as well. Oh, did they? Yeah. I didn't know about I this. I don't remember this. Yeah, it's... Uh, I'll have to talk about it later because it's a long story. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Uh, Tim then threatened to sue the BBC for false representation, and so they decided to change the title and the thumbnail image. Uh, very, very interesting how suddenly you don't want to hemorrhage all that cash. It, it keeps you honest. Uh, one good thing did happen, actually. I, I got invited to the National Conservative Conference. That was nice. Uh, we found out that we had far more friends than we ever expected within the establishment, and this upset all the right people. I mean, you did a... Uh, segment on the weekend after covering the Guardian trying to say that Miriam Cates was an anti-Semite for using the phrase cultural Marxism. And it just didn't <laughs> stick. I mean, she's remained a, a rhetorical rising star in the Conservative Party trying to push the current containment front bench more towards our ideas. So well done, Miriam. And it was just nice to meet lots of viewers and know that 
actually we are annoying the right people in the right places. It, we had a, a lot more of a, a encouraging discourse around how to capitalize on the conservative electoral defeat in the future. So not all hope is lost, maybe. Um, some hope is lost for some people. Not Mizzy in May. Mizzy saga was at least interesting. For anyone who doesn't remember, uh, we became aware of Mizzy because he broke into someone's home on TikTok. And then we started seeing the rest of his TikToks where he's asking teenage girls if they want to die. And then... <laughs> Leapfrogging random. It's just a prank, bro. Yeah, yeah, just assaulting and leapfrogging random Orthodox Jewish men in the street. He was just a nuisance, wasn't he? Yeah. Then Piers Morgan invited him on because, of course, he wanted clickbait, and he boasted about British law being too permissive. And then, when asked about his relationship with his family, he said, "I'm estranged from my mum." Of course, no mention of a relationship with his father. Colour me shocked. Uh, he was rearrested for then breaching a court order because he was ordered not to enter London and not to upload anything on TikTok. And then he said, Oh, mate, my friend got into my account with my password and uploaded a video of me doing another prank, even though I was ordered not to do the pranks, which just shows that he can't claim any responsibility. He's just entirely solipsistic. And as of time of reporting, a couple of days ago, he was jailed in a youth detention facility to about 18 months. I mean, light touch, a bit frustrating, but. At least he's off the streets for a little bit before he encourages, I don't know, a bunch of people to go raid Oxford Street or something next time. And then the last one, speaking of people that probably should face some more repercussions, uh, the Philip Schofield drama. Now, I'm not alleging anything here, but people did raise a few eyebrows when Philip Schofield came out of the closet because it seemed a bit precursive. And it turns out that he was having an illicit affair with an 18-year-old showrunner who he might have met between the ages of 10 to 15 at a local theatre company, and who he followed on Twitter, age 15, behind his wife's back, which he probably left his wife and children for. And then it also turns out that his brother is a convicted paedophile. It's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, quite uncomfortable. When all this came out, he then went into total meltdown and said that he's feeling suicidal because the media were looking at him. And then later on in the year as well, we had a BBC News presenter called Hugh Edwards who did a similar thing of where he was sexting some teenage guy, even though he was married to a woman. And then he also said that he had a mental health episode so the media shouldn't look into it too much. Now, Convenient, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, those turn up. it would almost sound like there is an institutional culture of abuse of young boys within the English media establishment. Uh, yeah, we've never heard of, of that happening before. I mean... I will say I had heard about this story before it had broken because I knew someone who was friends with a boy who had worked at ITV and said that this sort of thing had happened. But of course, you don't get to say anything until the person that it has happened to comes out and says it themselves. But they are far, Schofield is far from the first person in British media to have a sex scandal. Um, I can assure you he's probably far from the last. And that's why that whole place is just a sordid place but fortunately we don't do that at Lotus Eaters so uh, that was all the Lotus Eaters coverage for me thanks for sticking with and supporting us okay as far as I know hopefully none of you are nonsing anyone behind our <laughs> back so I don't think so I don't think so either but I can only hope <laughs> blimey have a bit more faith in us please Harry <laughs> so June this was uh, Pride Month and uh, there was this rather renowned picture of Streets of London. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, Regent Street, that's the one. Don't know London very well. But uh, yes, yell it from the rooftops. It, it was Pride Month. and uh, Colonial occupation by the looks of it. I mean, but sex month. Yes, it is indeed. Um, well, it's not anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
you know, it, it's not really confined to a month anymore, is it? Because people get things rammed down their throats all times of the year. Um, <laughs> double entendre intended. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm going to turn to something quite dark. Um, one of the, the biggest accidents in, in Indian rail history happened. Uh, 288 people killed and 850 people injured in an, in, in, uh, an Indian train derailment. I don't know why that was a tongue twister. Um, you, everyone knows how packed an Indian train is, so I imagine this was... Um, well, yeah, they often cling on to the outside, don't they? I know, yeah. So it would have been horrific to see. Um, obviously, I'm not going to play a video of that, but um, it was the deadliest in 20 years. Um, here we have... Um, this. Ah, yes. So secretive units tackling COVID disinformation strayed towards censorship and all of this information about um, government departments and uh, military units using um, behavioral manipulation techniques to basically manipulate people to do what the government says. Again, sort of um, when people were unaware of this going on. So it was sort of covert behavioural manipulation, which is what made it so egregious. They're also spying on people like Molly Kingsley of Us For Them, who mm -hmm. were just campaigning to reopen schools. Yeah. I mean, come on. Reopening schools is worthy of being spied on. I mean, schools are bad enough, but at the same time, this was just a concerned parent who was saying, well, my child is being developmentally stunted by being kept at home for a disease that they're not at risk of. And people question me in why I hate the government. Here's a great example of many, many examples. So another story is this. Yes. And uh, Neuralink began human trials, so you could get a chip in your brain. Um, and, How's yours going? Uh, it, it malfunctions quite a lot. I you you can so. hear it, you know, sometimes. It just goes Zzz. But uh, yes, you had a particular bee in your bonnet about this, Connor, didn't you? Yeah, I am slightly concerned that the technology will be developed to first increase accessibility for people with disabilities or cognitive impairment and then it will ratchet up to becoming somewhat mandatory because you can only conduct your business meetings in the metaverse it's just like how you can only uh, have a job if you have a mobile phone for example mm -hmm. um, just slightly slightly worrying how quickly the technology is coming along I, I don't want to take the brain chip thank you very much no I, I don't think it's for me although you know it's I, I just like to see technology progressing and if it can help people with like um, neurodegenerative disorders to walk again, then that's good. But you know, if it goes to a mass market, it's a little bit scary. Like, imagine your brain being hacked, getting like a virus in your head. Well, this is what the Yuval Noah Harari has talked about uh, as WEF address. I hate that man. Well, speaking about covert behavioral nudge units, um, if it, if it does become remotely accessible, what's to stop them from soliciting a dopamine response anytime that you do something that they want you to do? Mm -hmm. because then your motivation becomes indistinguishable from what the government wants you to do because they're hacking your neurochemistry. Like, no thanks. Well, thankfully, um, at least at a neurological point of view, this goes on the outside of the brain and the, the dopaminergenic system is quite close to the brainstem. So there was very a whole, difficult. There was one that had an entire mesh net over the entirety of it. Mm -hmm. the I don't know how feasible it is. I suppose the technology doesn't exist yet, so we'll have to find out. But it is um, something to keep an eye on. It's a bit dystopian and scary. And talking of dystopian and scary, here is uh, something to do with US government spending. This is Biden um, signing the debt ceiling bill, which um, pulled the US from the brink of default because they have been spending lots of American taxpayers' money on frivolous things. And of course, the, the US government likes running a deficit. And to be honest, the, the, the 
the point at which the US government is most effective is when it's in a government shutdown in these sorts of scenarios, when it's actually doing nothing. That's when it does its best work, I think. But um, yes, this happened. And of course, US debt is going to get higher and higher. Well, they're never going to be able to service their debt because it outpaces their economy. So It does, yeah. It's, we'll have fun when the collapse comes, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So Twitter um, chose to confront um, Brussels over disinformation code of conduct, which um, signaled uh, an even further part from the Elon-run uh, Twitter, now X, uh, platform, and our global overlords, I suppose, because, of course, they want to impose their ideology on people, and Elon, um, although he has some ideology that he's happy to impose on people, is at least more resistant than most. Basically, platforms like Twitter as an avenue of narrative control. I mean, Harry and I last October went through the Intercept expose, where they looked into the Biden administration pressuring various Silicon Valley giants, particularly Vijaya Gadover at Twitter, to censor random Anthony Fauci parody accounts for vaccine misinformation. And of course, we know all about the Hans Biden laptop story, where the FBI made up the intelligence services letter to say it's Russian disinformation, even though they knew it wasn't, and told Facebook, Google. Twitter, et cetera, to censor the story, and it helped win Biden the election. Mm -hmm. Tucker's first show on Twitter uh, came out, which had 121.7 million views as of uh, the 1st of December, our time of recording, which is incredibly impressive. That's much further reach than he would have got on Fox. So this is just testament to the fact that he made a good decision, however uh, involuntary it might have been to leave Fox. Um, and he's clearly met a lot of success here. It's nearly got a million people liking it. I mean, there's a quarter of a million people sharing it. That no is longer huge. Like, exactly. Yeah, you can't underestimate that. As I mentioned when we started, I think it's been basically nothing but good that he's done this because, like you say, he's not muzzled and he's signal boosting not just his own stories that he covers, but other people's stories as well. Occasionally, he should be more prudent who he invites on. I mean, the Andrew Tate one was a bloody car crash. Because Tate just made things up, and also he's not a very reputable character. But I don't blame Tucker for wanting to speak to contentious figures. Well, that was the first, I think that was within the first few episodes that he did. But since maybe episode six or seven, he's been consistently getting better and better with each episode, covering interesting and relevant things. And once again, interviews with people like Dave Smith is always really good to see because he is somebody who was a real mainstay of the mainstream who is very willing to go out and speak to alternative uh, alternative media platforms and boost them. And he's featured Oran McIntyre. Mm -hmm. And that was when he was on Fox. And Rorick Nationalist. Oh, yeah, and Rorick. Which is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. So um, one of the most harrowing things is this California bill, um, which would punish um, parents who don't affirm Oh, I can't scroll down. It's changing the bill. But basically, it punishes parents who don't affirm the child's gender identity. And this was passed in September, but proposed on the 8th of June. So, yeah, this sort of spelled the ever sort of worsening descent into madness that California is going through. I spoke to Bill Ward Chris about this. The, it's Washington, Oregon, and California. And I think there's one more have become transgender sanctuary states where the state will claim ownership of your child if the parents are non-affirming. And Chris told me an absolutely harrowing story of where the government wrestled away a young girl from her mother because the young girl was identifying as trans. She was started taking uh, hormone-based therapy and then knelt down in front of a train. 
her mother had to identify her body. So that is what the government is currently doing to children in California. That is just, I, I didn't know about that. That's one of the most harrowing things I've probably ever heard. Yeah, Chris, Chris tells these case studies far better than I do, so you can mm -hmm. go and see my interview with him on the website. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get much better either because, um, of course, you had the uh, Anansi stabbings. Um, this was a, a man from the Middle East um, who had, yeah, who'd tried to claim asylum in France, and I think he got rejected and just started stabbing children in a park. Uh, it's, it's horrific. I, mean, I, I don't really know what to to say here it's just, just so harrowing isn't it yes yeah, it's, it's an endless carousel of a controlled demolition of peace and prosperity mm -hmm. and it's totally needless totally avoidable but yet it is foisted on us anyway much more harrowing is this um muslims and christians unite uh, tra uh trampling the uh, radical trans pride flag in the streets of ottawa and this was um a, a rare moment of solidarity between christians and muslims against the woke agenda because it was being forced on children in schools and um you know, over the past couple of years, it's been nice to see the Canadians uh, standing up to this sort of thing because they tend to be a bit more progressive uh, in general than the Americans, at least. So, uh, well done, I suppose. No, no legislative victories yet, mm -hmm. especially not because, as, as I spoke to Chris about this, the Canadian Conservative Party voted overwhelmingly for the conversion therapy ban bill. This story made me laugh. Um, Paris needs to learn to live with rats. Um, the mayor of Paris conceded, which I thought was funny. Um, I'm pretty sure, was it um, Glasgow or was it Edinburgh? I can't remember. A, a Scottish city, I think it was Glasgow, said a similar thing. City Hall forms committee to look into cohabiting with vermin, and they also tried to solve the rat problem on the side. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to make a similar joke. You stole my thunder. Great minds, though, right? Um, so I found this story quite interesting. It's not something we covered, but I did consider it. Um, four children were found alive after surviving in the Amazon for 40 days um, after a plane crash in Colombia, which I thought was very impressive, surviving very in the Amazon impressive. jungle. I do find one of the top stories that next to it, though, quite funny. Food we eat matters for climate. Leaders agree in first ever pledge, implying that, I mean, what do I mean, we have to it, eat to survive? Has it, has it never <laughs> mattered for climate before? Mm-hmm. Agriculture and farming has never been something that Im impacts the environment or climate. Okay. By the way, these children were aged 13, 9, and 4. Blimey. That's, that's impressive. That's impressive. Fair play mm -hmm. to him. Um, talking of impressive, um, Silvio Berlusconi, known for his... Uh, bunga bunga parties. That's the one. Um, died, um, aged 86, and lots of the mainstream media thought the, it was the perfect opportunity to... Uh, as the Independent has done here, bring up all of his scandals immediately after he died, plagued by tax fraud and bunga bunga sex scandals. Um, perhaps not the most tasteful thing to do, but... Um, he was guilty of one thing and one thing only, being Italian. And it's Italian. probably one of the best crimes, tax fraud. Oh, right. Being Italian. Oh, yeah. That too. Yeah. He died as he lived, deep in a hole. <laughs> Blimey. <laughs> so... The UN said that gender bias had not improved over the past decade. Oh, and, good news. And referred to 90% of men worldwide as being sexist against women. Uh, Presumably, one, has to look, uh, one has to wonder what the UN were thinking. Just like, how do we get people to agree with us? Well, saying 90% of these people are a word that has some sort of stigma attached to it. 
Yeah, but they know well, they're going to get paid by all mm. of our countries anyway, so they face absolutely no repercussions for just making things up. I'm going to be honest, presumably the only metric for holding biased attitudes towards women would be acknowledging that men and women have different attitudes and behaviours. Mm-hmm. So on the 19th of June, um, Australia voted as to whether there would be an Aboriginal parliament, which is ridiculous. Um, obviously, they voted to reject it. And uh, yes, it was obviously just a way of inserting the sort of, we're on indigenous land, but, you know, Australia's massive and it's not really, you know, most people live in a very concentrated area on the East Coast. So that, that argument doesn't really hold up. And it's nice to see that Australia rejected it. Um, there's still some sense on that prison island, I suppose. And I'm very thankful for it because many Australians do not deserve such a thing. So... Of course, this was a big story. Um, the missing Titanic submersible. Uh, and of course... This was a rather tragic ending for this one. It was, yes. Uh, lots of people died in, in the submarine. Uh, many of them were, you know, well, five, five, fathers. And, and Five of them and one was... Um, a pair of them was a father and a son. And the son, tragically, it turned out, had only been on, on the craft in the first place to make his dad happy because he was nervous and didn't want to go on. So... Rather harrowing. Yeah, and supposedly um, it, it got to a certain depth and then just instantly imploded. So I suppose the one mercy is that it was a sudden thing, although it does sound pretty horrendous, if I'm being honest. Um, Estonia um, became the first ex-Soviet state to legalize same-sex marriage. And yeah, I, I was actually quite surprised that there hadn't been more, to be honest. Um, but there we go. Uh of course, this was a huge story as well, that Wagner Group um, began its march on Moscow and, of course, halted it. And then mysteriously, uh, the leader, Prigozhin, gets shot down in his plane under circumstances that I find dubious, but uh, weren't really looked into. Was it explosive on board, if I remember correctly, is what they theorized it was? There were all sorts of theories, weren't there? That was the sort of predominant one. Now he's tending to the big hot dog stand in the sky. Mm-hmm. And finally, on I mean, the... some say that he's still out there, and the whole thing was a false flag, and he's not actually dead. So, yes, yeah, some say. Some some say mm. he probably is, but uh, dead. That is, who knows. And finally, um, this happened on the twenty eighth of June. This was the uh, the I suppose the seventeen year old Muslim who tried to run over police uh, in a routine traffic stop, and was shot, causing massive riots in Paris. Um, largely by the uh, migrant population, North African um, Muslims in particular, um, such things as attacking random Frenchmen in the street, um, co-opting vehicles, burning things down, um, graffitiing on Holocaust memorials, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, breaking into um, AMTs with bandsaws, throwing explosives at police stations, you know, mostly peaceful activities. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's a, a somewhat dark view of, of June. A lot of bad stuff happened in June, it seems. But um, yes, I suppose that's it, everything. Yeah. And uh, so now we've covered all of that. That's all we've got for you today. So thanks for joining us on this presumably cold and dark mid-Christmas day. Join <laughs> us again tomorrow on the 28th where someone, I don't know who, will be covering July, August, and September. Until then, you probably need to lie down um, I hope you've spent time with your family, but please go and recover from all of that food that you've eaten and have a nice lie down and maybe even a nap. That's what I'll be doing. Thank you again. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.